right now on Tech Radio, is the world about to end? Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech from across Ireland. You're very welcome to episode 972. On the show today, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. And if you're one of these people who think, oh, God, I'm just not good at my job, you are going to love this interview that we have for you later on. Uh, we're also talking about Apple and uh, the little toys we expect them to announce on Monday. And big news on AI this week. That's all coming. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining me as always is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, the world is going to end. Skynet from Terminator movies is going to become a reality because we have had some of the key players in AI say in a single sentence statement. And I love this. This is so tech. It's not going to rambling on and on. A single sentence statement which said, Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. Your opinion? My opinion. Do you know what this reminds me of? It's like when somebody goes to a tarot reader and you know they pick <laughs> a card from the deck and it's the death card, you know, and everyone goes, and the, the tarot reader goes, no, no, look, this, this isn't, you know, the, the end of the world. This just means that there's a time of change coming. And sometimes it can be, yeah, okay, quite negative, but sometimes it can be quite positive mm. as well. And I think that's where we are with AI at the moment. There's a lot of concern about what AI is and isn't do, isn't doing and what it can and what it can't do. Mm. And, you know, we've talked about what AI can't do an awful lot. It's not very good at the future. It will tell you kind of what's going on right now uh, based on the past, but it can't really help you, uh, I'm going to say, kind of innovate or, you know, just come up with that creative spark. Oddly enough, we had our first AI generated press release uh, come into the office uh, during the week. Ah, I thought you were going to say that you wrote it. I'd be very surprised with that. <laughs> no, it came into the office and uh, I started reading it and I realised there was something just off about it. It was like reading something written by somebody who's not a native speaker of English. I mean, factually correct, but just the phrasing was kind of off. And yeah. Just didn't feel authentic. So, uh, and I didn't realize it was AI generated at first until I sort of went through my second read of it because there, there was something that sort of made me go, oh, there's something a little bit off about this. So I went back and I started reading it again and I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird way to phrase that or yeah, okay, I see what's going on there. But that's not, that's not what somebody over here would say. Hmm. Or, because it was an article that was meant to be about the Irish market uh, in a particular area. And a lot of the paragraphs started with, in Ireland, or according to trends in the Irish market. Like, that's, that's weird. That's very strange. I, 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 and then I copped it. Yeah, 
this was not read. This was not written by a human. Mm. As part of my work now, I talk to a lot of uh, well, CEOs, but uh, sorry, college professors actually. And it's one of the things that comes up in conversations, like how do you know that you know university students are not handing up, and they and they go, you just know. And, you know, kind of the real thing, especially if you're handing work up to your own professors, because your professor knows your style and the professor has kind of an idea of what it is that you know. So if you hand in an AI, it's just going to jump out as like, ah, this is not person X. So they said it's very yeah. easy to spot. Uh, and if it isn't easy to spot, but they are concerned about it, there are several engines that you can use on the internet uh, where you can check these things and it, it'll yeah. give you a percentage of, of how likely it is that it was written by AI. Yeah, yeah, you can you can get um sort of very simple plagiarism. So do you uh, engines as well? So it seems that the experts and the inventors and the people who brought us AI in the first place are now worried about how it's being taken up and the rate it's been taken up by the public. Do you think we are ever going to see a day where we're going to go down the Skynet Avenue? where artificial intelligence will become self-aware and when humans try to shut it down, it will retaliate by launching thermonuclear war upon us all. Come on, Dusty, you have been watching far too much, far too many movies lately. Far too many movies. (laughs) But I I was watching a documentary with Arnold Schwarzenegger the other day (laughs) and he came back from the future. (laughs) Look, I think AI is a tool. It has been a tool Mm. for as long as it has been in development. It's there to help you make better decisions. However, you know, you've got an imperfect system working off imperfect data. Um, OpenAI learned, it's, it's, you know, learned, you know, inverted commas, Mm. about everything in 2001. Um, We talked, I think, uh, last week about... um, OpenAI starting to learn things in real time through Bing. Um, we ha- we know that OpenAI uh, learned English. Actually, most of our, our common uh, generative AI programs have learned language through Reddit. You know, so we're not dealing with fantastic sources of information here. It's like what happened when Amazon tried to use AI as part of its hiring process. They decided that we don't have a very diverse workforce. Let's feed into the system what we need and it will help us generate a more diverse workforce. And it actually worked in the opposite direction because the data that was fed into the system showed, okay, the person that works on Amazon is XYZ. They were able to figure out, oh, XYZ is the kind of person in this CV. We should hire them. It's like you haven't actually broken anything. You've just mm-hmm. replicated pre-existing biases. And that is what's happening with AI. Until there is dynamic change within the data sets that AI is working on, it won't be able to innovate. It can just tell you what's going on and mm. come up with answers based on information that was relevant in the past. Well, my attitude is, and I know I'm taking the mic a little bit by talking about, you know, Arnie Schwarzenegger and Terminator and all that kind of stuff. But I think we will have a self-aware AI one day because too many people, one day, too many people have imagined them. There's too many sci-fi movies and we've seen sci-fi become reality so often. 
you know, and I think that that idea of a computer that is aware of itself is going to happen one day. And what we're dealing with at the moment then is the infancy of AI. And we have to learn about the deep fakes that it's able to generate. So you don't know if what you're hearing or seeing or anything that's going on your computer is actually true. Uh, and then there's automated disinformation, which are two great, two great words put together. It's amazing, uh, especially with the American election coming up. Because if it's automated disinformation done by AI, it means it can all be personalized. And it can be like, oh, Niall, yeah, yeah, we met once a couple of years back, blah, 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 blah. But I heard Biden is whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So well, it's kind of like Facebook has used personalization for years to spread misinformation. Uh, yes, but now, yeah, 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 that was Facebook. All right. Who couldn't organize a piss up in a brewery? Pardon my okay. French. Now you put an AI much. behind it. Now you put an AI behind it. Imagine the damage that could be done. So, yes. I think we have to be careful, but I think it's just growing pains. Listen, let's move off AI for now and get on to Apple. Are you going to be watching on your bank holiday Monday, are you? Oh, you know it, uh, bank holiday Monday. Um, well, are, are you going to watch it? Of course. Well, it's at six o'clock, so it's fine. I'll have been out for the day and I'll be kind of making dinner or whatever. I'll just stick it on, like, you know, and have a gander. I mean, the last one that we saw, I think it ran for two hours, did it? Right a while. It's about an hour and a half, I think. Yeah. Anyway, they're it's long. More, it's more efficient than, you know, the than Google's. Um, what, last week, two weeks ago. Um, that just went on and on. Oh, and uh, on. I think, and on. Uh, and on I again. Apple will be. A... <laughs> <laughs> and on. <laughs> I, I, re I refuse to go down this rabbit hole, Dustin. Um, what, what was it? Ariston used to do that. And on and on and on. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That's the Google, that's the Google song. Um, anyway, listen, back to back to Apple. <laughs> yeah. Um, there yeah, are it, a couple it, of things that the world is excited to see from Apple. Mm. One of which is kind of at last, last we're getting. Do you know what? In, fa in fairness, there are two things that are in the last um, bucket. For me, um, one of which has been in development for years, mm -hmm. um, and one of which is kind of a well, duh. When can I get my hands on this? Take my money immediately. Okay, uh, I'm taking the second one where you will hand over your all your money and your first child and and second child even uh, is the new MacBook Air. They're rumoring a 15 inch MacBook Air. Is that what you're after? 15 inch MacBook Air. That is, you know, that was one of my red lines really i want i need a computer with a 15 inch screen ah because i use a lot of graphics yeah so you know it's very important that i have a fair bit of real screen real estate what i mean about like the the you know computer i am talking to you through has 15 inch screen uh it is wonderful very happy with it and that's kind of become my default standard might be you know the most uh efficient thing if i'm out and about but it's it's kind of what i need mm. So for there finally to be a 15 inch MacBook Air, because as we know, if you wanted a 15 inch Mac uh, until recent times, you had to go with the Pro. Uh, the difference in price being a whole lot more. <laughs> you could probably buy three MacBook Airs for the price of a MacBook Pro these days. I think maybe two. Yeah, so, I mean, because the, the MacBook Air has shot up in price. Uh, they used to be in and around a grand, yeah. maybe 1100. Yeah. And now you, you're looking 1500 plus. 
That's that's like a 40 to 50 percent jump in price for the air. And that's for the 13 inch. So what's mm-hmm. kind of horrifying me and uh, what we'll find out on Monday is how much are they going to if they launch this 15 inch MacBook Air? Two things. One, I bet it's going to cost somewhere near two grand as like, forget it. Absolutely forget it. No way. All right. And then the second thing where I think it'll be a complete joke is if the standard version comes with eight gigs of RAM. Eight gigs of RAM is very rapidly becoming the minimum. You know, you want to have 16 in there to make something kind of, you know, sparkle on quite nicely. But so if they don't put in 16 in a, in a 15 inch MacBook Air, that'll be, that'll be too immediate. Like, bleh, not interesting. Do you think it'll date it straight away? Uh, no, I don't think it because they're always very popular anyway. So it'll do very well. There's no doubt about that. And the only thing that dates it was when they stop supporting it with their software. The minute they start doing yeah. that, then it just bleh, falls off a cliff. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of uh, things falling off a cliff uh, due to lack of software support, we will have a new version of iOS, possibly. Yes. And I've heard, and I'll be interested to see this, is if they are going to do side loading, because you know how walled garden Apple are. Mm-hmm. But there was an EU regulation that came in that said you have to allow apps that are not on the app store to be able to be installed on your phone because da, 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 whatever. Um, so I think that is going to be, I'm not going to say a feature. I don't think they're going to make a huge thing of it. I think it'll be something that'll be buried deep down in the, oh, yeah, you can also install apps that are not available on the app store. <laughs> kind you of a thing. Know what might happen, and this would be hilarious. Go on. Right? Steve Jobs will, will come back from heaven, will he? <laughs> <laughs> One more thing. <laughs> you One can sideload apps. <laughs> um, here's here's what I think would be hilarious, right? Apple will try to bury it in their announcement. Actually, they, this won't have a live audience, will it? It will. I think oh, it will, yeah. Do you think it will? Yeah, okay. I think it will. If, if they have a live audience, right, they'll try and slip it out just at the side. You know, we've got all this feature, including uh, sideloading and a better screen, you know, yeah. something... <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they'll try and just slip it in there. Like it. And as soon as people hear side loading, they'll just be like, they'll be proper Apple madness. clapping and madness, uh, craziness. And then uh, they try to move on and hope nobody noticed. One thing a lot of people are kind of upset may not be featured is the new M3 processor. I'm not particularly bothered because as we saw, the M1 was absolutely brilliant, but the M2 mm-hmm. perfected it. All right. So the M2 is yeah. the one to get. The M3 is going to not be great anyway. It'll be the M4. So, but they're not likely to release that uh, this time around. The other thing is, and it's probably more, I think, for you. Well, actually, I was going to say uh, for yourself, because you're a gamer, is the mixed reality headset. But I don't think it's going to be a gaming headset from anything I can hear. Well, here's, here's a bit of um, uh, a bit of trivia. This is a, a nice stash. Um, from Statista, who, you know, they, they track consumer trends and all that sort of thing. Uh, in the past five years, how many VR headsets would you expect it to have shipped? Not many. Not many. 10 million? Okay. Well, yeah, they're, they're, in fairness, they're doing better than that. Uh, okay. 51 right. million VR headsets have been shipped in the last right. five years. Yeah. Of which, oh, well, in the last five years, last five years, sixty-five percent of total sales were made in two thousand twenty-one, two thousand twenty-two, which were both the COVID years. Da 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 da. Didn't we years. have fun? <clears throat> yeah, 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, that time is over. We have passed through it. Thank goodness. And, you know, touch wood and all that kind of thing. Um, we are settling into, granted, a new norm. But uh, will sales of uh, VR headsets continue such a trend, an upward trend? No. Um, I don't think so. There's nothing there that mm. would make somebody like me go, okay, here we go. Now, Apple would not be releasing a VR or an extended reality headset because we're not sure what it is yet. Uh, it could be, you know, VR or it could be AR. It could be both. We don't know. Um, if Apple are doing it, they're doing it their way. And if they're doing it their way, it's because they have some application out there that you're not using it for already and that you will see it and go, ah, ah. now. Mm. They're good at that. That's anyway, good at we shall find out all on Bank Holiday Monday, six o'clock Irish time is uh, when you can see that online. Uh, ironically, probably on YouTube. <laughs> um, speaking of TV, two small little things before we get into our interview uh, this week. Uh, good news, bad news if you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, good news oh, being that Star right, Trek, Strange New Worlds, I've, I've watched it. Very good. It's actually very, very good. All right, much better than Picard. Um, Paramount Plus have decided to put the entire first series of Star Trek, Strange New Worlds on YouTube for free. All 10 episodes. Amazing. Ooh, I'm pretty excited about that. Yep. Okay. Bad news. Go. Bad news. Bad news. I went looking for it and I can't find it. And I think it's probably America only. No, it's probably geoblocks, do you think? Possibly. Anyway, we shall keep looking for it. We should keep one thing that we definitely will be able to get our hands on is Black Mirror. Uh, they are coming back with a new series on the 15th of June. Netflix, mm -hmm. which we, uh, well, most of us have anyway. Uh, Aaron Paul, Salma Kayak, uh, Kate Mara as well. Some really great uh, actors and actresses going to be uh, taking part in that. That's coming on the 15th of June on Netflix. Right. That's it. News for this week. Niall, thank you very much. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Have you ever felt imposter syndrome? You know, when you feel like a fake in your own job and you think you're terrible, but in fact, you are actually brilliant. Jennifer Cox is security engineering manager with Tenable. And she had a chat with Nod Kitson about knowing your worth and how to get ahead in your career at a time when being seen at work is becoming a thing of the past. Jenny, one of the best pieces of advice I think people come across in their lives is to know your worth. Uh, and, you know, in times gone past, that was a very easy thing to demonstrate. Uh, however, we are in post-COVID times. A lot of people work from home. The rules have very much changed. So how do you go about, you know, either knowing or even better demonstrating your worth? This is an interesting one because like I say, since COVID, um, a lot of things have changed and worth can mean different things to different people. So when we were all working from home with a moment's notice and raising our families in a different way that we were doing before becoming teachers and carers and everything that we were. I think what, what a lot of people have learned is that worth is much more than just the salary that you're getting paid. And um, worth is the opportunity that is going to be made available to you. Your worth can also be around the opportunities that you can make available to the people that you love around you and your family, whether you're at home, whether you're in the office, whether it's an increase or a promotion, 
Um, that need has changed for people now from what it was before. It's not as black and white. And for people to be able to understand what their worth is, there's a couple of things that, that, that they can do. So there's the assessment, there's the line you draw in the sand with regards, you know, if X was to happen, how would I feel about it? Um, and we'll come back to that. But when we talk about things like commercially understanding what your worth is, I always say to people, when you have an opportunity to talk to, you know, recruitment companies about roles that exist that are either similar to yours or a step up from yours, take that opportunity. Don't worry about making your boss nervous and don't worry about um, the fact that maybe you're not actually looking for a job somewhere else, but take that chance and have that conversation because the, the, the price that you were paid to go into the market for your current job may have changed. And certainly since COVID, it's changed in a lot of industries. Um, and the, the perks that you're going to get with that job will have changed also. Um, Pre-COVID, work from home was almost not a thing for many companies. It was unusual. These days, it's become a deal breaker for a lot of people um, because of the work-life balance that they have. Other perks like you know, health insurance might not have been considered a big deal, but post-COVID with some people who may have themselves or other family members still suffering, that's important then too. And, you know, there's lots of bits and pieces there uh, that are important to people that you need to negotiate and need to be aware of. Um, So have that conversation with the recruiter, talk about the roles, talk about what's on offer and talk about what the value is there. Make a little note of it, put it to one side. And then when your review time comes around, that's something that you should be using uh, at review time, or if that's a good while away, it's something that you should be taking back to your employer and having a conversation around that in your your current place of work. That sort of issue that you touched upon there as value as sort of going beyond sort of a monetary sense. Um, where do you think people's reappraisal of value is at the moment? Is it looking at, yes, I get health cover now, which is fantastic, but you know, is it reappraising the value or the nature of your family time and looking at, you know, when you see a package, you might be thinking in the back of your mind, yeah, but I'm really happy with the time I get to spend with my kids right now. Do I replicate, do I get to replicate this in this other job that I'm looking at? Absolutely. So I thought, say prior to COVID that I was spending plenty of time with my kids and was well tuned into everything that's happening. So I have four kids, 24, 19, 16 and nine, spot the surprise. And um, so pre-COVID, I was like, yeah, I'm well tuned in. I know what's happening. You know, my, my husband and myself par- parent them together. But with COVID, when we were uh, locked in, for want of a better way of, of putting it, that's what it felt like to them. I discovered with forced conversations at dinner tables that, um, I wasn't as tuned into what was happening in their lives as I thought. And when we were made to be at home and couldn't do that 5K, anything more than 5K together. So we sat and had our dinners together every evening. I made them tell me one positive thing around about their day, which killed all of us for about the first three weeks till eventually, you know, we all succumbed to it. They just had to suck it up. It's what mom wanted them to do. And they would tell me something positive that happened during the day. Being at home with them like that meant that I I appreciated more the time I spent with them. I appreciated more the challenges that they were going through with two that were in their teens at the time or one was approaching his teens. Um, what I've learned now is that I wouldn't give that up for love and money. Now they're back 
in school and college and doing their bits and pieces now, but ultimately we're still at home having our dinner together at the end of the day, not always doing the positive thing from the day, which we should bring back. But um, what I've learned is that if I was to take a job tomorrow, that meant that I was going to be in an office in Dublin. So bear in mind, I'm in Wexford, that uh, in an office in Dublin five days a week, that would be a big no go for me because being at home with my family is has I thought always had been priority but being at home with my family to the extent that I am now takes precedent over any other kind of advantage then from there so I use my example but what I've discovered with a lot of people especially people who've had children during COVID they've been around for the early stages and they know all of the routines they want to be there to put their kids to bed they want to be there to do the drop-offs for school they want to be there when their kids are sick minding them themselves rather than having somebody else mind them. And that's just the kids. There's people who have taken on dogs as well that want to be there for those things. That's their baby. You know, everyone's priorities have changed and the pro- the priorities have become much more holistic rather than new cars and bigger houses and, and nicer technology. We all like those things too. I think we have reassessed our values and what's important to us and the job is something that should help us to maintain those priorities rather than it being the means to the end and where we uh, define the priorities around the job now the job must fit those needs then too and that's huge that's a game changer for a lot of people and especially when you talk about certain groups like um, we all know that during COVID that a lot of the the mothers that returned home, a lot of the, the primary care fell to them in most cases. Um, I mean, it has fallen to both parents, but we've seen, if you look at the statistics around uh, the workforce and who stepped away from work altogether, it was primarily more mums that were affected as such. They're having to take over the childcare and the education of the children as such then. So they have the bigger challenge now of stepping back into the workforce and assessing what their worth is because it's all changed having been in a completely different role during COVID at that time and now stepping back into the workforce and trying to understand uh, how to um, value their time and look for the equivalent of that in the workforce or, or negotiate a home working arrangement um, or leaving the office partway through the day to go do school pickups and stuff. Do you know, it's become more of a challenge for them now. Let's have a look then at sort of the nature of people's career progression, seeing as we have recalibrated the idea of value versus, you know, pure monetary reward. Um, previously, you know, the, the mantra has always been, you know, be in, be seen, you know, be seen to contribute, to demonstrate your financial value to the company. If you're actually working remotely most of the time, working in teams, you know, over Zoom, and having minimal contact with the people that actually control the purse strings, how is that affecting people's ability to progress? So this is where I, I start to divide companies into one or the other. And that's a very black and white approach for me. <laughs> but what I mean by that is that the companies that understood when people were at home during uh, COVID and saw the benefit of that workforce pulling together um and continue to see the benefit of that these days, whether they're hybrid and they've gone back a couple of days a week or not gone back at all, they understand that it is possible to succeed and to see the best out of people, whether they're in the office or not, versus the companies that are making people go back five days a week because they don't believe they're doing any work if they can't see them actually doing it. And that's what I'm seeing now. Now with remote workforces, 
we've proven over almost three years that this is something that we can do and do successfully in a healthy workplace where people can appreciate that if people are given the room to to determine how they work, then they're given the opportunity to be their most successful. So you'll find things like, like say, being available to do school drop-offs and pickups allows somebody to relax enough to be able to focus properly the rest of the time that they're working. And um, for someone who's maybe neurodivergent, maybe starting later in the day and working later into the evening is something that works better for them. They're at their most productive uh, at those hours rather than in a rigid nine to five sat at a desk somewhere. Um, we've seen results that have shown that that is truly successful. And companies that are embracing that and embracing a workforce and the diversity of that workforce um, are seeing the benefits um, in both the, the numbers, the, the money that they're making and the productivity that they're seeing in that workforce. Now, a lot of companies, I know that we were taught um, how to manage a remote workforce. And one of the things that we talked about in the very beginning of, of having this remote workforce was to be very much aware of, you know, when you're, if you are in the office and somebody's in the office with you to be very much aware that the work, the workforce, load is distributed evenly and that everybody is seen and treated in the same way, regardless of whether they're in the, in the office with you or not. Now, for me, not really so much of an issue. I've got people in my team that are in, you know, the UK and Ireland and the US and Israel and Poland. So everybody's all over the place. And so for me, everybody is, it's easy enough for me to treat everybody equally. But if you are in a leadership role and your half of your team are in the office and half of your team are not in the office, it's the responsibility of that leader to ensure that everybody is accounted for in the same way. So they need to use tools that give everybody the opportunity to contribute equally um, and use tools that give them the opportunity to see everybody equally. So if somebody is working from home that you've got, you know, a lot of people use things like uh, Microsoft Teams because it allows them to to collaborate in a much more organic way, like you would do if you're in the office. They use other tools for, you know, whiteboarding and such remotely or sharing out documents and files that people can add and contribute then as they need to. All of those are tools that anyone in leadership is able to see and, and weigh the work equally. It doesn't mean that because somebody stood in front of them and um, updating that file, it makes their work any more valuable than that. And in order for leadership to be um, to be respectful of a productive workforce that's diverse and to, to, to treat them all with the, the, the value that they deserve, they need to be working in an environment where the company understands and appreciates that also. And I think we're at a time now where um, we need to acknowledge what we've learned during COVID. We need to be respectful of all of the benefits that we've seen and the improvements to not just the, the, the workforce and the, the money made by these companies, but also to the, the the people, shall we say, to the greater social good that's done by having all of these people in communities, whether it's to local businesses or local um, communities that they're involved in because they're at home now as well. Companies have a responsibility that goes beyond just the revenue that they make. They have a responsibility to the communities that they're a part of and that their people are a part of too. And they have a responsibility to listen to their employees and to appreciate what those employees see as valuable to them beyond just the monetary value then too. 
And I think if we if we're doing that, if we continue to do that and bear that in mind, it's possible to combine the two of them and make it so that there isn't a difference between the one that works remotely and the one that's in the office when it comes to um, seeing people succeed and seeing people get their promotions or increases and are rewarded duly for that. Lastly, when we look at uh, diver- diversity, I mean, we've sort of touched upon this already in, in some respects. You know, a couple of years ago, the conversation was all about women in tech. Um, it has since been added to sort of gender and, you know, uh, racial representation and now neurodiversity. The conversation always seems to be changing on the subject and the terminology always seems to be changing. Um, do you think companies are kind of intimidated or put off but at looking at diversity because there's always the fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing? Absolutely. I think like for me, it was the the first thing I was afraid of doing. But I think for like companies are worried that they're going to get bad press if they say the wrong thing. Um, and they're worried that they will misrepresent um, people by saying the wrong thing. But I think being like there's education available out there freely and obviously paid for resources that will come in and help companies navigate that. There is most companies these days will have teams around or bigger companies anyway, around things like um, DNI or uh, have ERG groups, you know, employee resource groups around all of those uh, minority or, or diverse groups so that they can approach them, approach those conversations in the most uh, socially friendly or, or way and make the least mistakes possible. But the important thing is that people are going to make mistakes. So if you make a mistake, put your hand up and say, I've made a mistake where, you know, I'm going to get educated. I'm going to make sure that we don't make mistakes like that in the future and be human about it. It's the inhumanity of companies, I think, that is the most intolerable part, intolerable part of being a part of a diverse community. It's when those companies make themselves human then they can truly represent the diverse communities that are trying that they want to be a part of their company, um, and diverse communities flock towards companies who embrace their humanity and are willing to make mistakes like that too, and not the ones that don't. And that was Jennifer Cox chatting with Niall Kitson. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Of course, as always, we have more stories online that we didn't have time to include in the podcast, including more on Sam Altman's view of open AI in the EU, a new electric vehicle charging network set for County Mayo, and job announcements from Vita Group and BNY Mellon. You'll find all of that on our website at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RT Radio 1 Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until then, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, have a great bank holiday weekend. Talk to you next week. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.